Chase Utley, you are the man. This wow. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Sunday evening in the Delaware Valley, and we're talking Philadelphia sports. There's always next year podcast. We are on a lot to get to today. Flyers eliminated from the playoffs. Phillies season still rolling on. And uh, most importantly, the NFL draft is this Thursday at 8 o'clock. So we're talking draft because the Eagles may have blown it. Uh, let's open up with the Flyers, if you if you two don't mind. Uh, as always, I should You know, mention- Mark, uh, I'm going to let you finish in a minute, but I'm going to interrupt you here. Um, you know, I was watching this Flyers game today, and, uh, you know, I really got to watching it, and I started to realize um, something about myself, that I really just hate hockey. You know, I'm watching this game, and it's nothing but frustration and missed opportunities the entire time. You know, I'm sitting there, I dedicate 60 minutes of my life to see one goal, and I just, I really don't like it. I'm not that into it. And, you know, I always support the Philadelphia teams. I'm always going to support every team. But I'm just not the biggest hockey fan in the world. And I'm not going to sit up here and give some bogus opinion about how I think they could have played better or they could have done more. I'm just not going to do it anymore. That's my opinion. Don't like hockey. Off of it. So you guys could debate this. I'm going to go take a shit or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's been, uh, he's been right, sitting on that right. one for a while. He's yeah. been hot about that. All I've been day. hot about that. Is that what you've been hot about? That's what I've been tonight? hot about. I was going to make it a lot angrier, but you know, not you, hot. Anymore. Usually, people say there's no wrong opinion, but yours is terrible. This yeah. is a wrong opinion. Right, well, you guys get to the Flyers. No, you don't feel like excitement watching that. That just nonstop action. Oh, of action of what? Up? Just hitting each other. I mean, yeah, that's football. Yeah. If I want to see people get hit, I'll watch MMA or boxing or yeah, something. So you'd rather watch half naked gentlemen, uh, you know. Lay on I, top I just of want to see some score. That? I don't know. Let's get to the Flyers, though. That, you know, well, right. if they didn't stink so bad, they'd have scored a lot. More. Okay, that might be part of it. <laughs> and more importantly, if the stars of the team didn't stink so bad, they would have scored more. Let me just run down this. These are your top three guys on the team. One of them is your captain. One of them is your leading scorer from this past season. Claude Giroux, one assist, no goals, minus two, ten shots. Jake Voracek. Zero assists, one goal, a, f- a cheap goal at that. He was minus one, 16 shots, and Wayne Simmons, 32 goals in the season, two assists, no goals, minus one, 17 shots. What do you make of that, Sean? That's terrible. And I, That one play that sticks with me with Wayne Simmons was today. You know, when he, what was it, a, the two-on-one they had where he loses control of the puck? Yeah. That that that's a good opportunity blown right there. You know, he's Squandered. missed opportunities. Yeah, missed opportunities. That's what hockey's all about. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I saw today is there was no sustained pressure from the Flyers, not just in game six, but the entire series. You know, they would they would rush the zone and it was almost like as as fast as they got into the zone was as fast as they were chasing the puck the other way. Look, we all know go, we all knew going in that the Capitals were a better team, that you know they were the top seed, best team in the league. They gave they gave a fighting chance. They won the two games, got everybody excited again, just to you know, you know, break their hearts yeah, once well, again. They lost in six, exactly as I predicted. Yeah, I mean you the Oracle right. over here calling calling probably the most predictable of series. 
But that's all right. I, I, I'd like you just kind of, just to kind of stay out of this and uh, oh, smoke I'm, your cancer stick. I'm staying yeah. out. Not a hockey guy. We. But and I think the biggest problem with this series was not so. I mean, it was obviously the play of the team, but I think a bigger issue and something that's not really being talked about is the uh, the management of the series by Dave Haxtell. I get he's you know the rookie head coach coming in his first playoffs, but. There, look, he he made the goalie switch basically when it was too, too late. late. When it was too, too late. late, when your backs were already up against the wall, and you, you know, there was no room for error. You you know, if you lost one more game, you were out. And I, I personally think that the switch should have been made after the the uh, cheap goal that they got in game two. Uh, yeah, that. the one that went through the legs. If anything, it should have been made either there or in game three when Ovechkin hops off the bench gets the puck, and puts an easy uh, wrist shot right over Mason's shoulder. Well, from Before the bracelets started coming out. Hey, and let's, oh, what was with the whole bracelet thing? I, I didn't get the full You didn't see that? Well, for those of you out there that don't know about the bracelets, let's, I guess, dive into that. Um, so, game three, Flyers are down, I think, at that point it was like 4-1. The wheels are have long come off the track. This is now, this is turning into, you know, a dumpster fire. Um, so there was a stoppage in play, you know, everyone knows, you know, a, a scrum, you know, a pretty decent fight, kind of, or whatever you want to call it, breaks out on the ice, and I guess the fans sense that the Flyers didn't care, so they stopped caring, and before the game, every fan was given a, a white wristband that lit up for a memorial for Red Snyder, and, you know, fights broke out on the ice, drunk people started going wild on the stands, you next thing you know... Bracelets started raining down on the ice. And all week, or not so much all week, but, you know, the couple days after it, all you heard on TV, radio, social media was how embarrassed people were that this happened and what a black eye this is for Philadelphia sports fans. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't get the out, the outrage over this. Yeah, like this is the worst thing yeah. we've done yet. Yeah, this, I would say <laughs> the worst thing ever done was throwing batteries at JD Drew. I mean, yeah, batteries actually hurt. Yeah, yeah you you could kill a guy if you hit him you hit him with enough batteries. But I mean, there's like rubber wristbands, and you know, people's biggest their biggest gripe with it was oh, people were saying it's it's not about that they did it. It's about what the wristbands represented. They were there for a reason. I, I could I could see that. But. I could see it too. But I mean, look. Th- the way I look at it, if they didn't give out wristbands for the ceremony, there was other. There's other things in a stadium to be thrown on the playing surface, like a boot, like a boot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you give out these wristbands, you gotta somewhat expect they're ending up on that ice. I don't. I don't think you go into that thinking it, but I mean, it's all. It's always always a poss- It's always a possibility that it could happen. But if there weren't wristbands, it would have been beer bottles. It would have been cups. It would have been shoes. It would have been whatever. So I don't like. I, I, I just don't understand the outrage. I mean, I think the bigger issue was how the team was playing on the ice and less about what the fans were doing in, in the crowd. Yeah, Steve Mason really got away with the media ridicule with this one because... He got away with media ridicule, fan ridicule. It's like it's like nobody knew that he let in six goals. Yeah. And it's not even so much... It wasn't all on him. At a, cer- like, at a certain point, it stopped being all on him and it was just... Th- you know, they were on a power play, the Capitals, for six minutes after the wristbands started getting thrown out because the Flyers got hit with a two-minute minor for delay of game for the fans. I mean, look, it was a terrible game. 
but Steve Mason probably should have never been in that game to begin with. He looked good in game one, and game two he looked terrible. He let in, I think, four goals in game two. And so why why do you stick around with this guy? I, I didn't understand. I didn't like Hackstall like, the whole series up until game going into game four left the lineup exactly the same, left the lines the same, same guys in the lineup. You r- rode the same goalie he's been riding for a month who you could see was exhausted. He was dead. He was done. And everyone else can see it, but the man behind the bench. So I, I think Hacksaw dropped the ball. He, I think he really dropped the ball. And you know, a lot. He's going to get a lot of praise now because they won Game Four and Game Five and made it a series, and they almost came back, is what people are going to say. But if you really watch the play on the ice, they shouldn't have won Game yeah, Five. No, they were. What was it? They, Forty-four to eleven shots. That that's embarrassing for for a playoff team to put up eleven shots. I think it was the lowest. Shot total for a team since like '98, or and they got that. And yet one they still fl- won. They got that one fluky. They goal. got they got a fluke goal off a capital skate, and then they got the empty netter. But they won that game because of Michael Neuvert. So you make the argument, which really isn't that much of an argument, if he was in net from the jump, or at least after game two, we're still playing. I mean, this is still a series. The Flyers are only down three two at this point, or whatever it is. Yeah. They they were outshot one hundred five to sixty one since Neuverth went in, and that, that, you and, can't win like that. And and he only let up what two goals? He let in no one games. goal. He one got goal? the uh, wait. It was he, two. They yeah. scored one in game four, right? Yeah. So there, I mean that that look that number tells you all you, all all you need to hear. The team wasn't <laughs> playing in front of whoever was in net, but at least the the backup who you knew was fresh, who has proven he could play in the playoffs. At least he, you know, he was doing his job. Mason wasn't. Steve Mason has never played well in the playoffs. I mean, prior to coming to Philly, when he was with Columbus, he wasn't even a good goalie. Period. He came here and kind of got revitalized. Woke up a little bit. He played solid. You know, I, I don't have any gripes with him, the player. I mean, look, he, he's the best goalie we've had here in a while, probably since like Brian Boucher's rookie year. So, I mean, this is the most solid goaltending we've had in a while. But I mean. At a certain point, you you can't stick with a guy because he's good in the regular season. If he's only good enough to get you there and not get you over the hump, then you have to look somewhere else. And that's why I think this offseason, you, you, you sign Neuberth, make him your number one, you trade Mason because I think, and I, I thought this at the beginning of the playoffs, but it might not be so now, but I think he, I, I thought you would get more from Mason, maybe not anymore, but at this point it's about... You're all about this youth movement and bringing up the young guys, and the young, you got you got a young guy in Anthony Stolarz who was with the team when Neuwirth was hurt, didn't play a game. They just signed a guy from that played in Yale. He's apparently the top goalie prospect out there. So they have guys down there, but I mean, so next year one of them has to come up. It's not going to be the guy from Yale whose name I do not know. It's going to have to be Stolarz. So that means either Neuwirth or Mason's going to be out. And I think who gives you the best chance? <laughs> is Michael Neuver. And the counter-argument is his, his injury history. But at that point, it's, it's not... It's good to get the young guy playing Yeah, time, it's not all that bad. see if he's got, you know, what it takes. Yeah, it's not all that bad, because now you're running your, you know, your rookie out there, and, you know, it's trial by fire, really. You go out there and see what you got. If you can't play... I'd rather us figure out now he can't play and not try to start him two years from now, and now it's like, okay, now what we do? Yeah. I mean... Well. I, it, it goes back to you know the people the or the teams don't want to get 
the young guys going too soon. If they don't make it, they think it messes with their heads. But I think the, it gets to a point where you're coddling a player too much. You don't want to keep them down there too long. I think next year's a year. I think Mason, to me, is the odd man out. I think Neuverth proved that you know if you can get if he could take you to the playoffs and he could perform well for you once you're there, which is what you know. It's like in the NFL, defenses have won Super Bowls. Well, goalies have taken teams a long way in the NHL playoffs. Yep. And that's... And it looks like Holtby's going to take the caps a long way. And, I, you know, I'm always against rooting for the opposing... Rooting for the team that beat you. But going into the second round, I think, you know, I'm all capital since they're playing the Penguins. And, I, I mean, that's a no-brainer, obviously. Yeah. I don't want the Capitals to win the Stanley Cup. I my, I want... I don't even care who wins. Wouldn't you rather point. say you lost to the champs, though? No, that's and never been my. Bombs? That's never been my theory. My <laughs> theory has always been you beat me, and I feel terrible. So now I want you to get there. I want you to get to the finals, and I want you to lose so your fans feel worse than I did when you beat me. <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that for any sport. I don't want. I hate. I don't like when people say, "Oh, I want to be beaten by the champ." No, I don't want the champ to feel any joy because they <laughs> gave me. I feel pain. They hurt me, so I, I want them the other, to hurt. The other conference win. Yeah. That yeah, way... I don't hold any real animosity towards the other conference in any sport at most times. Yeah, so. that's usually how it goes. Unless you're talking baseball, and everybody hates the Yankees who are in a different league. Mm-hmm. But let's talk baseball. The Phillies, I mean, they're playing average. They're playing right around 500 baseball I mean, it's this year. better than what we expected, too, I would a say. Better than Man behind the glass chimes in, finally. Oh, I'm back now. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it's it's average. It's you know, it, it's better than what we expected. I did expect them to play better this year than they did last year. I, but and so far, what are they? Nine and ten, coming off they won the series this weekend with the Brewers. They lost today, eight to five. But you know, they put up five runs yesterday and the day before. They stole one from the Mets in extras right on Wednesday. You know, the thing with baseball is baseball is a streaky sport, so. They haven't even gotten hot yet. I mean, I know they're going to go through cold streaks too, but there's a you know there's going to come a time at some point where they're going to pick it up. They're going to win a lot of games and they're going to look a lot better. They're going to find themselves. These are young players, and it's nice to see them start to develop. You know, Herrera is looking like he's the real deal. Franco looks like the real deal. These young pitchers look really good, so it's exciting going forward. Speaking of Franco, did you see that play he made yesterday from his ass? I did. He's got a strong arm. I'd like so to see glad, that at third base. I'm so glad that we finally have a third base. Because we never have. Yeah, we're not just running out whatever utility infielder we Bill. picked up. Yeah, or whatever just random guy we picked up in the offseason just to fill a position. And Wes Helms. Yeah. I mean you could you could literally you could build a team around your third baseman. I mean the Mets have kind of done it in David Wright for a while. I mean that haven't been great his entire career, but I mean it's good it's good to solidify that position on the field and they have a guy that can not only field, but a guy that can hit as well at that position, that goes a long way. I mean, you saw what I mean. You saw what a guy. I mean, Mike Schmidt was kind of the same player. He could field a little bit, but and his hitting was, you know, obviously he was one of the best hitters one ever. Of the best Philly, yeah. Best best Philly ever. So I mean, it's good. It's good you have some some consistency at that position, and now we have the team's biggest issue going forward is the outfield. And they have a ton of prospects. Yeah, and outfield's an easy position to fill, too. It's not like third base where 
we could never find a third. You can always find outfielders. Yeah, I mean, because most, pl- I mean, a lot of the time, with the, with the thing is with outfielders is they're good hitters that can't really field, so they stick them in the outfield because they, you know, it's anyone could catch a ball. Yeah, it's like if you can't catch a fly ball, then you shouldn't be in the league. Exactly, and then if you can't catch a fly ball, you can't field, then and you can hit. Just go to the American yeah, League. DH. DH. But so I mean, <laughs> we might not have the most defensively strong outfield, but we'll definitely but as long as we have an outfield I mean, full of players that could put runs on the know, board. I mean, aside from Herrera, I don't really know which of these outfielders, you know, is part of this plan moving forward. I don't forward. think any of them. None of them really. Yeah, I mean, the one guy, the guy that's out there now, Tyler Goodell, he's the Rule 5 guy that they picked up in the offseason and the Rule 5, I mean, when you when you get the guy in the Rule 5 draft, which you don't have to. They had the first pick, and he so he they picked him first overall in the Rule Five draft. But how the Rule Five draft works, whether you guys know or not, is if you draft him, he has to be on your forty-man roster for the entire season. Mm-hmm. So that I, a guy like Tyler Goodell, who they took Rule Five, I mean, I don't think they would have drafted him if they didn't think that if they didn't see him. You know, somewhat as the future plan because you could just forego the pick. You don't have to pick anybody in the draft. So you know, obviously he was there. They picked him because they saw something in him that they could build with and move forward with. And you know, he hasn't played great up to this point. But you know, really none of them. I mean, none of them have really hit that well outside of Franco and Herrera. I mean, those are your two best players right now. Yeah, Franco was hot this weekend. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Two home runs yesterday and one today. And he, 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 his bat went quiet for a little bit, but he's picked it up in the past couple games. And, you know, we all, everyone knew he was, you know, he, that's where the power was coming from. That's where the hitting was coming from in this lineup. And, you know, he's proving that he is really that guy. And we're not just overhyping him because he's the first. I mean, we've been more, we, we were, this is the guy that we've been most excited about since Don Brown. And we saw what Don yeah. Brown, you know, just, he had, he had, awful. he had something to offer for half a season, but then that Should was about it. Him. Yeah, I mean, he had two good months his entire time here, and so I think... I mean, I remember that year, he, 2013, right, where he was up in the top of the league in home runs. For yeah. the first half. For the first the half, and then break. he literally just fell off. Yeah. I remember doing that. I seen him in the Cherry Hill Mall doing that so, stretch. But my point is, we finally have a prospect that he's come up, he did it last year when he first came up, and now he's doing it somewhat consistently early in this season. And I I, th- it's, I I think it's given a spark to the guys around him. I mean, you see him, you see him on the field, he's having a ball when he's out there playing. And that's what you like to see, man. You like to see people who enjoy playing the game. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you see him make a great play like he did last night, and then he gets up, he's smiling, you know, he's yelling to himself. That's like just he's good having for the fun. chemistry for the people around him, too. It is. I mean, I think him and Freddie Galvis, you know, they almost have like a little competition out there where, you know, you that side of the field is usually split in half, and but you know, whenever it's like a questionable ball, they both kind of go for it. If one gets to it first, you know, he, you know, he throws a guy out and gives a look to the other. They, you know, they laugh about. It. <laughs> it's good to have friendly competition between teammates like yeah, that. Speaking of friendly good. competition, the game I was at, the ball girl actually said uh, Galvis, Franco, and. Uh, Cesar Hernandez got like a man crush with each other. They're just always together, blabbering that Spanish. <laughs> just, they're just best friends. Hey, that's, that's good. I mean, it's, I like to see that. Yeah, I'm glad that like it's not just a bunch of guys that are thrown together and don't really like each other. At least like that's kind of especially with a young team like this, where there's a lot of people who you don't know if they're going to be around or not. You know, like you look 
I mean, at the Sixers, like I don't feel like there's much chemistry there. They don't gel together well. That's a young team in transition as well. And that's that's why you look at the Sixers, not to get off topic, but you look at the Sixers who they didn't perform well because I don't think they all like each other. They don't like playing with each other that much. And you yeah, yeah. flip it around and you look at the Phillies that, yeah, your core guys of Hernandez, Herrera, Franco, Galvis, you know, those are the guys you're moving forward with. Those are like the those are the guys that you know more than likely are going to be around when this thing turns around. So the fact that they like each other, they enjoy playing with each other, that's so important for when oh, absolutely. You, for when the other guys come up, when you get JP Crawford comes up, when uh Jason Knapp comes up, Nick Williams comes up. That they're going to they're going to buy into, you know, this is a fun place to play. You know, so, everyone's friendly, everyone's with each other, everyone's playing for each other. And that's going to translate on the field. And culture beats scheme. No. <laughs> Don't say that. We what? saw that that didn't work. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, those guys are going to be coming up. And, uh, you know, where are they going to be coming up from, Mark? I believe it's a place called The Farm. Hey, now, let's go down on the farm with me, Cousin don't try to milk that horse. He ain't gonna like that. Hey, everybody! It's me, Big Cutting Bow, down here on the farm. We're talking Phillies baseball and all their wonderful prospects in the minor leagues. Let's jump right into it. J.P. Crawford. He is batting 306 with 19 hits, one home run, four RBIs, and 427 on base percentage in Double A. Nick Williams is batting 291, 16 hits, two stolen bases, eight RBIs, and a 323 on base percentage in Triple A. Andrew Knapp, after this, I'm gonna need a nap. He's batting 308, 12 hits, two home runs, nine RBIs, and 413 on base percentage. And finally, Roman Quinn. Batting 206, 13 hits, one home run, four RBIs, at a 254 on base percentage. Like to see him pick it up. I like what I'm seeing. I like the pop that I'm seeing from the other prospects. A lot of exciting times down here on the farm. I always like to go down on the farm. Yeah, Feels it's a, good. It's a good time. Good, good. Uh, and that cousin Bo, you know, he's 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 something else. He's a wily old coot, ain't he? It sure is. Crazy <laughs> eyes he's got. Yeah. All right, so look, we've uh. We've kind of screwed around for the past twenty minutes, talking about pretty cut and dry stuff. But let's get into the let's get into the real issue at hand. This Thursday is the NFL draft. Finally, after all these months, we're, we're seeing it. And we don't, you know, it's we don't have any questions at this point. We don't. It's not like, oh, who are we going to pick? You know, we had the draft special planned. We're going to, you know, debate who we think they should take. We know who they're taking now. Yeah, only because the Eagles this past week. I, I think. To some, it was expected. I was kind of caught a little off guard because I didn't think they were really going to do it. I heard the rumors. I started to expect it that day. Yeah, and then and I, then I didn't think, but anything. I didn't expect the trade was going to happen that day. I thought it would come during the draft because, you know, yeah, that's unless, a draft day trade. Unless someone else is vying for the same spot, there's no reason to pull the trigger. Or, you know, a week and a half before or the maybe draft. the Browns said to them, "Now or never." I think yeah. that's. I think that's really what it came down to, is. I mean, Which, I mean, and that shows you right there that the Browns must have had the upper hand in this entire trade. I mean, oh, there's yeah. no well, doubt. They had the pick, pick. So They had the leverage. Let's real quick just go over the trade for those of us that, you know, I'm sure everyone knows it by now, but just let's do our due diligence <laughs> and go over the trade. So the Eagles traded up to number two from number eight with the Browns. The Eagles get the two, obviously, uh, number two overall pick this year and a uh, fourth-round pick next year in 2017. The Browns get the number eight pick this year. Third round pick number 77 this year from the Eagles. Uh, 
Fourth round pick this year, overall number 100. Next year's first, and 2018's second. So your initial reaction, Sean, when you got, you know, however you found out, Twitter, you got, you know, some app on your phone, when you got that update that said the Eagles made that trade, your initial thought, My go. initial thought, I was fired up. I was pissed. He was hot. I was hot. He was like hot Sam Bradford. I, I initially learned from you, flag man, and what? yeah, I saw, I got a text that just said Eagles traded for number two, and I just thought, what are they doing? I don't even want to know what the hell they gave up to get this pick. Yep, and the thing that I was real fired up about is the next year's first round pick. That's really the thing that gets me. You almost have to expect, though, if you, anytime there's a, a trade up like to that magnitude when you're going like top three. You almost have to expect you're giving up. Especially when it's for a quarterback, too. Yeah, you're giving up a couple. for like, And you're giving up at least one first-round pick other than that than that year's pick. And you know, my other thing is, so it's we were already depleted with draft picks. I mean, we have plenty of draft picks, but we already lost our second round this year in a ridiculously stupid Sam Bradford trade Yes, for a quarterback, Yes, which we are now looking to get another quarterback. Yes. So you gave up your second for one quarterback who now you're not using. You know, he's going to be here. He's the starter this year, but he doesn't even want to be here. And that's that's the silver lining in all of this is Sam Bradford may be gone by the time the season starts. Which I don't think he will. I don't think they're going to get rid of him. They're not really going to get anything back for him. But here's, here's my biggest gripe. And when I saw, when I got the update, I looked at my phone, I saw text messages, and then I, there was tweets and everything going on. When I finally, when I figured it out, I saw what they gave up, I was so mad, and I still am, because this team, to me, has so many holes. They have so many spots where they need to fill, and you don't have a second-round pick. You had two-thirds, so you're going to kind of use, the, the third they gave up was kind of, it was like at the top of the third round. So really, you look at it. You had it. You had a like a late second round pick, and they blew it. They gave it away for what? For one guy? But you know, for the- one position that you already spent so much. Twelve million guaranteed to Chase Daniel. Twenty-one million guaranteed to Sam Bradford. And now you go and invest draft picks. Something that you know. You have to just really covet in this league because it's so it a, a player can come in in the draft and change your team around so easily in the NFL, and they just said nah. But I understand you said they have holes to fill now, but this isn't you know you don't expect to draft play, to draft players to fill holes in your team. If you're looking to win this year and fill holes in your team through the draft, that's never good. You have to draft players who you know are going to be good in the future. And well, obviously, if they're good this year, they're going to be good in the future. No, I'm not, I don't, that, but I'm I don't saying, mean you draft players from one year. I, I, I know that. that but I'm saying, oh, we need to say we need a cornerback right now. You don't say I'm going to fill that hole for this season in the draft. But my point being, but why that, not? Because you can't expect a rookie to you know to throw a rookie into the mix and he's going to fill that hole. And if be, you go, if you're going first round, if you're going a top ten pick in the first round, you damn sure could expect that. You could expect a first why not round pick to play the best they're going to play to fill a hole. In your, I don't, I don't say, I'm not saying best the they're going to play, but they're, they're going to play better than what you have now. That's why you drafted them if you because you think that he's because, better than yeah, what you, you have for the future. And I understand it because in this league, it's a quarterback driven league. Quarterback, there's not many of them. They're hard to come by. And you need to have a good quarterback. You need to have an elite quarterback. And if they believe that this is the guy and they have this opportunity and they could not let it pass and this is going to be your star quarterback going forward, it doesn't matter what you pay for him. If he is an elite quarterback, 
we're not going to be arguing about this and I, five years from I now. I agree with that, Bill, but it just I mean these that, first round quarterbacks just don't pan out. Yeah, and, and they since, do and they don't. It's it's a crapshoot. They do and they don't. But since '99, out of 45 QBs taken in the first round, only 17 of them have won a playoff game. That's, That's not a good percentage. I don't like those odds. And not only that, but here's like here, like when you look at the the, the top two. If you could, I mean, I, I use quotes because if you could call these guys top two quarterbacks, I mean, I guess you have to. But if they're I think, not Mariota and Winston, yeah, I think I think you know it's all relative with the draft, and you know that's obvious. But you know the talent pool of quarterback just isn't there this year. So these are, but apparently it's not. It's looking like it's not going to be there next year or the year after that. So I think, I but mean, all right. So here's the thing: you you went and you made this move. You, you bring in Wentz, who everyone's, you know, they're saying, you know, Sam Bradford's our starter. Okay, so just by that statement, putting aside what you whether you think Bradford's going to be here or not, whether he's going to stay healthy or not, when you say the words, Sam Bradford is our starter, you have to assume as a fan, as a reporter, as anything, that Sam, that Sam Bradford will play all 16 games for the Philadelphia Eagles. You never assume that. Well, if they're saying it, then that's their plan. I'm saying you can't assume that he's going to play because he can't stay healthy. Stay healthy. I'm saying you put that aside. When you hear Sam Bradford's our starter, your thought is, okay, they expect him to play and start in 16 games for them this year. Yeah, but he's their starter for this year. That doesn't... Going forward... I'm I'm trying to to get to a point here. Okay, get to your point. It's kind of hard. So you're saying he's your starter. So Wentz is going to sit on the sideline. He's not going to play or... I say Wentz. We're assuming it's Wentz because that's what everyone's assuming. So now, let's say Bradford does. He gets hurt, chased in, whatever. Let's say you you finish four and twelve. So now your your uh, draft pick is in the top five next year, and now you don't have it. So you've benefited nothing from finishing four and twelve. You finish four and twelve, and it's a throwaway season because you don't have a. You have to wait till the second round to pick next year because you've given away. You were first round pick for a guy that didn't play all year. But what happens if it works out and this guy's a star quarterback? But we're not gonna know right off the bat I, whether well, it works I'm sure out or not. Right bat, I'm thinking so. I'm thinking short term where I see a window right now where you have to stock you have to get as many young players as you can but to you have build to get for the a young future. quarterback. Quarterback is the hardest position to come by. You can't expect oh I'll draft a quarterback in the sixth round and he's gonna be tough. No one ever said the sixth round. You could draft him one you could have drafted one in the third round. We and, all, you already said that the, the, the pool is not that deep. They're all coming in after the season ended, they were all pretty neck and neck for who was the best. I mean, you, you look at a guy, you could have went third round, you could have got Connor Cook if he was there from Michigan State. You could have got Christian Hackenberg. And these people quarterbacks gonna, who come in the third people, round are very rarely ever good. And they're very rarely ever good in the first round. Sean just read you that. I mean, you have a lot better chance of him being good in the first round than from the third. I mean, I know we don't have the numbers on third round we pick do quarterbacks, not. but I'm saying that, you know, a lot of times there's quarterbacks who were drafted early in the Andrew Luck was drafted early in the draft. Would you take Andrew Luck as your? Would you have made this trade if it was for Andrew Luck? Well, yeah, yeah but it's not Andrew Luck, and the the the, the report on Wentz and Goff is not as high as it was for. Andrew I understand Luck. that, but. No I mean, one's talking about no one's talking about these two guys like they did Andrew Luck, and that that is the problem. If this guy, if say worst case scenario, this guy's a Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco has a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, I mean this dude doesn't look like he has good fundamentals. He's not. But good, you're talking about a like guy RG three. You're talking about a guy. A 
You're talking about if he ends up being like Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco went mid-first round, not number two overall, and they didn't have to trade anything to get him. I understand that. But people, I mean, there's other teams who need quarterbacks. The Rams obviously traded up, too. It's hard to come by quarterbacks, and if you're building for the future, you have to do what you have to do now. I mean, granted, I didn't think it was the deepest pool of free agents. I mean, um, quarterbacks. I At first, you know, I wasn't about it. I thought you should wait. But at the same time, obviously Sam Bradford's not your guy. I mean, he's he's been afforded every excuse in the book. He's been on a bad team. He has injuries, blah, blah, blah. But he's 28 years old, and he's been a mediocre quarterback at best throughout his career. Yes. And what makes anyone think that's going to change anytime soon? Chase Daniel is a career backup. I mean, you're not going to find your franchise quarterback in free agency. I just... You can't, you know, be just praying that you're going to find a pot of gold in the mid to late rounds. So it's an aggressive move and you have to make it. If it doesn't work, I mean, we're all going to be pretty pissed off. Because and a lot of times, you know, I hate seeing teams trade up and give a whole pool of draft picks to go up and get a quarterback like the Redskins did. You know, I wasn't big on it when I saw the Rams do it. But at the same time, you know, you have to do what you have to do. You have to try to get a quarterback. And if this was the right move and this works out, we're all going to be happy about it. If we have a franchise quarterback, the rest will come. You can build a good team around it. But, you know, we weren't. how else were we finding a franchise quarterback? We're not bad enough to be getting the first overall pick every year. Uh, but that, my biggest concern is that next this year coming up, we might be. We might be that bad, and now we're just now that's the Browns. I think we're worse pick. than we were last year. Yeah, I'm hoping that we could be in like at least like the late teens, maybe the twenties, just so then that first round picks like kind of like, uh, all right, it was you know, I mean, I still think, got I our second gonna, rounder. I don't think we're going to be a but, bad team this year. I'm not saying we're going to be, you know, competitive in the NFC and we're going to be, you know, towards the top of the division. But I still think that we are going to be a decent team. I could see us. I mean, I think we'll play better than we played last year. I think our defense is a lot better. <laughs> our defense and is a lot better. I can't wait to see the four three scheme back. I know because all these guys play better in a four three. Yeah, and that's just that's what we all know. Like besides yes. the chip years, that's what we know. That's, and what, that's we what we love. With. Yeah, that's what we've been watching for years. I mean, and you know, I think most of the time, I think the four three has really been making. I remember ten years ago, the three four was you know the cutting edge. That was the big thing. All the good teams around the 3-4. Now you look at the good teams in the league, the best defenses, they're all running 4-3s. Now, 10 years ago when the Baltimore had the best defense and the Patriots and the Steelers, they were all 3-4 teams. Now the best team, best defenses in the league are the Seahawks, <coughs> um, the uh, what's the team? Panthers. They're all 4-3 schemes. So I'm glad to see it back. And I think this defense has gotten better. Yeah, just maybe the on cornerback paper, position. On- Corner and that's a which cor- I don't corner- think has gotten any worse. It hasn't gotten. It hasn't worse. gotten any worse. It's if anything, it's broken even. But <laughs> cornerback, you had a you had a chance at eight. You could have gotten, you could have gotten one of two stud cornerbacks. You could have gotten Jalen Ramsey. You could have gotten Vernon Hargraves. Well, what they should do? Well, what they should have done was went after Josh Norman after they pulled the tag. I don't know. They but you can't at that they point because you already you already dumped so much money into Bradford that that kind of handcuffed you because you still have to pay Fletcher Cox. And you know, I don't know. And what's that say to Fletcher Cox if you go and you're signing Josh Norman to big money when Fletcher, Fletcher Cox is sitting on your team waiting to get his big contract? And I feel terrible for Josh Norman because I mean, you know, he went to the yeah. superstar graveyard of Washington. I mean, I don't know if anyone can name me a good free agent who went to Washington and played well. Nobody can. Other than London Fletcher who played decent, Deshaun Jackson who's played decent. I mean, it's just a graveyard for 
good players. So, you know, I feel bad for him. But, you know, I, I don't think we were ever in that conversation. I, we need no. a cornerback, but we that's not because we don't have the money now. Because we don't have the money. So, you know, I mean, it was ridiculous. you couldn't expect that. Had he been there as a free agent throughout the free agency period, we might have went for him. How he's been aggressive. But, you know, when they rescinded, and why did they rescind that franchise tag now? What you know? It's if it was a they have plenty of cap space. You know something had to happen behind closed doors for them to pull that frame. I mean, because he's already on your cap. It's not like you need that fourteen million dollars to go sign anyone else. So let me just just to bring it back to the Eagles because I don't give a shit about Josh Norman and the Redskins. I kind of give a shit about Josh Norman and the Redskins. Yeah, we got to face him twice this year. Yeah, you know. And I don't know if we got a receiver that can beat him. Well, I don't think many teams do. Odell Beckham's the best. And Dez. He's the best wide receiver. Oh, uh, yeah, Dez. But, and either both of them had trouble with him, too. So, I mean, it's really... It sucks you have to face him two times a year, but there's bigger issues overall as a team than who they're playing in when they play the Redskins right now. Well, let me ask you guys this. At two, now that that's the pick, we have to, you know, obviously you're picking there. Who would you prefer of the top two quarterbacks that are there? Obviously, we don't control we don't control the board. The Rams do, and it's everyone thinks it's a foregone conclusion that the Rams pick Jared Goff. But from what you guys have seen, of the, Goff or Wentz of, of the, the two tape I've seen of the two, I I think Goff is by far yeah, the better. Yeah, I think player. Goff's better, but I think Wentz has more potential overall, more room for improvement, a lot I mean, of physical ability. He's bigger, he's faster. I mean, Goff's, you know, they say he's more NFL-ready. He's, um... He played in the pro-style offense, played at a better school, played against better competition, but I I don't know that... You know, I think Wentz might overall have more potential. He's a big dude. He's quick. He can run. Um, He's got a cannon. You know, his deep ball kind of reminds me of Donovan's, and he kind of hangs for a while. But I think he he has the tools. He's got a quick release... You know, he could thread the needle. I think... I like how he stands tall in the pocket, yeah, too. You know, he even when he's got a pressure. guy running at him. I mean, it's... I've watched I've watched a little bit on both. Obviously, I'm not any kind of expert. I've never played football, so what the hell do I know? But just, just looking at it, just... I feel like when I look at Goff... I mean, really, I don't like either of them. I can't make a case for either of them. Because I look at both of them, and I don't like what either of them does for a number one or number two overall pick. And I hate that that's a situation that the Eagles have put themselves in. But, I mean, what college quarterback film has ever really gotten you to Marcus Mariota because he can run? I mean, when you watch this college film, there's none that really I look at. I'm like, oh, man, I want that guy so much. because it's, I think a lot of that goes into because we really don't know all that much of what we're looking at. Because, I, yeah, it's hard to translate from college football. So, it's yeah, you know, you really don't know what you're looking at. And that's why you see... Guys go in the top five who don't pan out. I mean, but a lot of times, like, you know, you say, oh, guys straight from the first round never won a playoff game. I mean, I know guys who draft in the first round, RG3. He is a dude who played well in the NFL, and the only reason that he's not a good quarterback is because of injuries. So there's a lot of things, there's other things that go into it other than quarterbacks just not panning out and just not playing well in the league. I mean, you look at a draft like the 04 draft where you had three quarterbacks go in the first round who were all very successful in the league. I mean, I understand 
these guys aren't those type of prospects. But still, I think there's a very good chance that they can be elite prospects. I look at, I pulled up numbers on Wentz. I don't understand how college football works and how he, how he didn't play the same number of games any year he was in college football. I don't understand how one last 2014 he played 16 games and last year he played seven and there was no injury. So I don't, I don't get how it works. I mean, the biggest, uh, the biggest issue with his, him in college is it was not major college football he was playing. He played for North Dakota State, it's Division One Double A, and you know everyone, everyone saying like oh, everyone that supports the trade was saying, you know you got to look at well, the Steve McNair's throwing around, Tony Romo's throwing around. You know, obviously, obviously guys have done it before. So that's not like just because it's been done before doesn't doesn't make it. 100% that it's going to happen now. A lot, now. Of the reason, a lot of what raised his stock was his senior bowl performance. Yeah, and that's my other thing. This is a guy that after the after the season was done, he played his final game. He was projected to maybe go in the first round. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, we're talking what, since December? I, he, saw, I, I saw major mock drafts a couple months ago that had him falling, falling all the way in the 20s to the Texans. So right. he just shot up the board recently. So... I don't understand how a guy that hasn't played a game in a cu- in months and the Senior Bowl. I I don't know what the level of competition is in the Senior Bowl. I've never watched it. It's I'm, more than the Pro Bowl, or right? Something I'm, like that. I, I, kids playing in middle school is more than the Pro Bowl. But my point is, I don't know what the level of competition is, so I don't really I, I don't I don't know how much stock can be bought into how well he played in the Senior Bowl. But what I do know is this is a guy that all right, if you want to count the Senior Bowl, has played one game. Since what November, December, whatever his season ended, and has went from a, a second to third round pick to number two overall in the draft. <laughs> it, it boggles my mind how that happens based on combine and pro day. I mean, just because you could throw wearing gym shorts, having a guy run at you with like a foam finger, doesn't mean that when the lights are on and you have three hundred pound linemen running at you that you're going to be able to perform the same way. So it, that's why I, I don't understand I don't understand how it works. And that scares me that this guy has only his That's high, why you're not an NFL talent scout. So well, you're right, but there are people who, you know, they see something that obviously normal people like us don't see. But I feel like every year they see uh, and you're right. You're right when you say that, you know, every year you see it and we don't know what's going to happen. But I feel like there's so many question marks to go along. Like, I, I get it. I see him. I see his size. I see his arm strength. I see all the intangibles that Carson Wentz has. And Jared Goff. You know, I, I can understand well, what... Jared a, Goff has little hands, so... Yeah, right. He's got them baby hands. Yeah, so he, <laughs> he, he can't eat at Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> but I could see when a good football player and a good quarterback's in front of me. When, you know, I, but... I feel like the question marks that are raised with both of them, and I, I, I put emphasis more on Wentz because everyone's pretty <laughs> sure that that's who they're going to go with. I, when I see all the question marks, it, I just it, it scares me as a fan, and it just makes me think: just why wouldn't you have just stayed at eight? If you would have just stayed at eight, you could have you could have done so much more than you can at number two. Because number you move up to number two, you're making one move. You stay at eight. There's so many different things you could have done. And I don't buy enough into Carson Wentz and what he's done in college, whether it's Division 2, Division 1 AA, Division 1 A, whatever. 
any of them. I mean, the numbers are there. He's only played 35 games in college football. And I, I, I don't know, I don't, like I said, I don't know how it works in college, but I'm pretty sure that other quarterbacks that have played all four years in major college football have played more than 35 games. And the other thing is, you know, this, this has been calculated. It's not like this is something that happened last week and then it was, oh, you know, they just thought last week, hey, you know, why don't we trade up to the number two overall pick? They had a draft day trade in place already with the San Diego, with the San Diego Chargers to move up to three. So they knew they were getting one of these quarterbacks. That has been established within the organization for quite some time now, which is pretty obvious. So then why did they re-sign Bradford? Which is the question. Right. Because we talk even... Not, not even if you're going to re-sign Bradford, why did you sign Chase Daniel? You know, Carson Wentz probably isn't even going to put a jersey on this season. Probably not. Which I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. You know, I don't understand why, if you knew you were moving up and taking a quarterback then why did you sign two of them this offseason? That's the thing. It's been talked about so much, even before free agency started, that the Eagles were thinking about moving up to get one of the... Or, and maybe not moving up. I think the talks of moving up have been more more recent because I think... I, mean, I think Peterson just wants to mirror what Reed did. Yeah, but I think more recently, people the talk of them moving up is heated up because I think people thought more and more that Wentz and Goff were going to go 1-2 and the Eagles, just, you know liked each of them so much, more so Wentz, that they figured, we have to get up there some, we, hey, have, to, you know, we have to almost guarantee that we get one of those There was a point in time where I thought if one of those two fell to eight, that they wouldn't even attend yeah, them. I did too. And, and, and it was right after they drafted Bradford, but then you go a week after that, and they signed Chase Daniel and you know, all that was, money. It was and the Rams who really tied their hands by moving up, because that gave the Browns so much leverage. You know, had the Rams not moved up this high, we could have moved up, you know, to three. And it probably would have cost a lot less. I mean, we could have even potentially waited because these quarterbacks, you know, their value is getting, you know, inflated because of that Rams trade. The Rams moving up to one is the only reason we had to move up this far. Let me raise this question with you guys. The Cleveland Browns, a team that... (laughs) A team that hasn't had a good quarterback ever. Ever. Tim Couch. <laughs> he was great. So why a team that is in desperate need of a quarterback is sitting at number two, why do they trade out? Because they saw the potential to get all these draft picks. And I guess they... Because, I mean, are we really going to base it on that Cleveland Browns know more than we do? I'm just saying. But do they you, have you bad said, and better management than us? Well, I'm saying you said earlier that this is a quarterback-driven league. So if you're at the top of the draft and you have a chance to get one of the top two quarterbacks, why did you trade away? Because they're a piece-of-shit organization. And they're <laughs> they've obviously never... They haven't done really anything right ever. We're talking about the organization. You want to talk about well, quarterback Well, I mean, look driven. at their head coach. They, they, you know, they hired Hugh Jackson, who's a, you know, he's a quarterback guy. He's an offensive guy. You think that he doesn't? You think he couldn't tell a good quarterback from a bad one? But this is the same organization that drafted Johnny Manziel in the first round. I mean, they clearly yeah, don't know what they're round, doing. I, and that was like their second pick in the yeah, first and round. He was projected to go high. Remember? Yeah, so he fell. Yeah, he fell. I understand he fell, but still at the same no time. One saw what John, no one saw that Johnny Manziel was going to be more interested in doing blow than he was playing football. And mushrooms. Oh, really, but, all of that. Yeah, I understand that, but I just don't think the Browns are a good organization. I don't think they make good decisions. The city of Cleveland 
is just not a good organization. No, they're the not. mistake by I the mean, lake they call it. If you can't, when, I'm not going to say on this long, but you know, if you can't win belts with LeBron James, there's a problem. Their but, economy is driven off of LeBron. James. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, back to back to the Eagles here. I don't. I wouldn't weigh too much into the fact that Cleveland traded out of that spot because. I don't really trust their judgment. I mean, I'm sure they're going to try to grab one of these late-round quarterbacks. They might think, hey, we have Hugh Jackson. He's a quarterback guru. He can make Cardell Jones or Christian Christian Hackenberg into a star. That might be their thought process. So I wouldn't buy too much into why they moved back. (coughs) So, all right, well now, so the second round, or the second pick, or the first, I'm sorry, the first round pick obviously is going quarterback. There's no second round. So now in the third round, they have the one pick in the third round. I think it's like mid to late. 79th. 79th? Yeah. I think you got to go O-line there. That's what I think. You you definitely have to go O-line. You have to address them. Even before the trade went down, I would have went... Before the trade went down, when they were at 8... I, I my thought is if Ezekiel Elliott's there at eight, you take but him. I think he might go four to Dallas. That's very possible. No, I don't I see know. why Dallas wouldn't take him. Me either. But my point is Elliott was the guy I wanted first, but if he wasn't there, I would have addressed O line then. But now in the third round, now that you've traded one of your third round picks and you only have one, you haven't picked since the second overall pick, I think it, it's imperative at that point you have to go offensive line. Yeah. You just I mean there's really no two ways about it, and whether, you know, I think you lock up, I think I think you've locked up the right side of your line pretty well. You have to, uh, I mean, well, look, I, I understand um, offensive linemen are very interchangeable, and, and you can't and just switch in the left tackle when Peters is gone. That I think that was the plan all along with Drafts well, and Lane Johnson. They paid him left left tackle money. Yeah, he so got paid. I think they'll slide him over at some point. I mean, obviously, left tackle is more important. It's right. a quarterback's blind side. I think. Lane will be over at left tackle as soon as Peters retires, but you got to shore up. You know you have to. You right now you got this Brooks guy who looks pretty good. You have Lane. You have Kelsey who's pretty much you know he's been pretty solid most of his time here. And then after that you have question marks. You have Jason Peters who's thirty six, and then they say, oh well he played so great in this kind of offense with Reed. But how much more you know you can't build for the future with Jason Peters as your left tackle. Yeah, he's an old man now. He's not the same as when Reed was here. No, he's not. And, you know, they gave up a first-round pick for him, which I thought was a good decision, well too. I worth mean, it. Gave us a franchise left tackle, which is one of the most important positions in the game. You say, I mean, I think in the past 20 years, every first overall pick has been of one, one of three positions. It's been a quarterback, a tackle, or a pass rusher, and literally nothing else. Because those are three of your most important positions, and they're the ones that get drafted the earliest. So, you know, that's something you have to address and you have to get a good, especially if you're investing all of this, you know, all these picks into a quarterback, you need to protect them. And you can get something good in the third round. Oh, absolutely. Offensive lineman. Yes, definitely. Yeah, the third round is not as far off. I mean, the talent drop, it's a drop off from the second, obviously. Right, but, I mean, players have been picked in the third round and have become, and have become, Good players, especially offensive linemen. Yeah, I mean, offensive line. You could really. I mean, I don't want to say you could get them at any round, but I mean, you almost can. I mean, there's players that go undrafted that come in and play, you know, really yeah. well on the offensive line. I mean, yeah. offensive linemen. I don't want to say they're a dime a dozen, but they almost are. I mean, I. But you got to find them still. It's not you know. It's not right. Like, it's not just you can't just pick any guy off the street. We saw it last year. You can't just pick 
any big guy off the street and say, all right, yeah, block this guy. You have, to, you know, they have to have technique and they have to have form. And you're right, you have to, you have to have the guys in your front office to find these guys and to separate them from the Joe Schmoes of the world. I'd like to see them go after Videl Alexander in the third round. Out yeah. LSU, six five, three hundred twenty five pounds. He could play tackle. He could play guard. So that's good. So you, they, when Lane does move over, you throw him the right tackle or something. Right. You know, you could address that. You could address the guard right away, and then you got your right tackle long term. And they have Brandon. They have Brandon Brooks that they signed. They have Lane Johnson. They have Jason Kelsey, who's coming off a bad year. And I'm a little but alarmed I, with. I'm a little weary of that more being Chip's system than him himself. I mean, how much can he do when the two people next to him are garbage? Terrible. No, you're right. Horseshit. But, I mean, but the, my point is, already, just just on the Brandon Brooks move alone. You know, I once saw Jason Kelsey singing karaoke in a bar on a Tuesday night, singing uh, an Afro Man song. What, because I got high? It, no, the other one. Colt 45? Yeah, I, I tried to snag a video of it. It was him and Bo <laughs> Allen. It was pretty funny, man. But Bo <laughs> Allen's my kind of guy. Big old Big beefalos. dudes. They're big guys, man. I met, Bo Allen especially. Oh, he's bottom heavy. <laughs> he's got yeah. funny shape. I met Jason Kelsey at Xfinity Live during a Flyers playoff game when he first got drafted. He kind of snubbed me. I gotta, I've always kind of held that against him. Like, he kind of, I guess, you know, he was just drafted. You know, he's... In VIP, you know, you know, feeling good about himself, but you know, don't snub the fans, well, especially a young, I mean, especially I was, a young guy. I was sitting at the table with both of them. It was almost, you know, it was like two tables put together, but you know, they were there was a gap in between us, and they were sitting there with these two pretty good looking girls. And I'm looking over, I'm like, you know, I'm like, he looks familiar. Huh? That's Jason Kelsey, and he's up singing carry, and I'm videotape. I'm trying to get a video of it because I wasn't sure if it was him or not, and it was him and Bo Allen. And, I mean, it was it was funny running into him at this bar, man. But you know, let's get back to. Actual sports talk. It's rare you see players in bars because they make so much money now. They go to the more higher end bars. So if you see them at like a, a normal person bar, it's almost it was like McGilligan's. Good bar. Good. I love McGilligan's. But um, see, we all agree. Third round. I mean, you've handcuffed yourself enough at that point where you almost have to draft linemen. To an extent, you obviously don't want to reach if there's a player that. Could fill another position like cornerback, like running back, that is better at that position than the lineman you have is at his position. You have to go with it. I mean, third round, third round, I would make priority at lineman, yeah. offensive lineman. But if there's a guy there that is, you know, that is like if there's a above average running back. Or an above-average cornerback. Yeah, there's a lot of them. They, yeah, you, know. you have you know at that point you know you have to pull the trigger there because ultimately if you have especially from the aspect of running back if you now that you have your quote-unquote franchise quarterback moving forward because I mean this year I don't who's our running back Sproles and Matthews is Matthews really our guy we need another running back yeah. this season but the the draft next year is deep with running backs yeah. I've heard well uh, we're already limited with our draft picks next year yeah so. we are well. <laughs> We have no first, and we have no third next year. So I mean, I mean, it is what it is now. That you can't. You, unfortunately, there's no rewind button, a la Madden. What what was it like 2008? Yeah, that was the worst thing they ever put in worst, that game. Worst, worst thing in any sports game ever. To where you could just ah, oh, I threw an interception. Nah, rewind. Yeah, let me take that back. And that's after they had, you know, that was after. I remember the one Madden that had. Brett Favre on the cover, I think it was, and that's when they had the Madden IQ, 
and they were all about, you know, like, trying to make it realistic, don't want people to go for it on 4th and 17 from your own 5, and then and then they're throwing out the, the Madden Rewind. Remember the first time I Stupid. rewind, I thought it was like to watch the play over, and I'm like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. I'm doing the same play over again? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Dumb. Unbelievable. So, I... I'm just I'm so nervous, guy. I really am. I'm so nervous. I'm so I like I almost I, I want a crystal ball to where I could look three years ahead and we see all what we have, pal. I mean, it sucks. I mean, it really sucks being a sports fan sometimes when you invest everything into how well these teams do, and you're just we're like literally two thousand this year. I really feel like we're just sitting stagnant, waiting, like because no one expects Wentz or Goff to play whoever we have because you have the two guys and you have. Really, two whether Bradford gets hurt or not, or whether Bradford's here or not, you have two quarterback in front of them. So I feel like this year we're sitting stagnant, waiting for and the future you know, to take place. It's not even like you're going to dress them. So it's not even like games where we're getting blown out and you're like, you know what, it's fourth quarter, let's throw them in, give them some NFL experience. Yeah, really, the only time we're going to see them for any prolonged time it's is. Preseason. Yeah, and that's that's really going up against like a lot of the same talent he was going up against in college. Yeah. So he's going to, even if he looks good then, I mean, we saw last year with Bradford, he looked good against oh, he looked great Green Bay. Everyone, everyone's like, oh, he, you know, this is it. He's going to do it. He, uh, he's turned it around. I knew he could do it in chip system. And then the season starts and he <laughs> falls flat on his face. So you can't, uh, and you can't buy anything into the preseason, especially with a rookie because no one's seen him before. No one's used to his playing style. And usually the rookies are going up against the third oh, and fourth string guys. Yeah, so they're look, they're you know they're going up against guys who are you know probably going to get cut. And uh, speaking of cuts, um, you know I I get my hair cut at this place called Gentleman Cuts. Great cuts, guy. You guys agree? I agree. Uh, yeah. Great place, friendly environment, located at 508 Herfield Cross Keys Road in Washington Township. You know you should really get down there sometime. It's Great environment, great place, you know, hot towels, just great haircuts overall. Make sure you ask for Chris. He's Make the sure. best. He's the best in the shop. He's the owner's son. He knows what he's doing. Gotta love them over there. Sure. 508 Herfield Cross Keys Road in Sewell, New Jersey. Make sure you check him out. That's Gentleman's Cuts. So, <laughs> and hopefully Carson Wentz isn't a guy that ends up getting cut <laughs> in, the, not. in like three years from now. for un- And that's, that's my other, like... What's what's the timeline when you, when you go up that high to get a quarterback? What's the timeline? You what's give them? what's the timeline before you re- like when they're not? What when you realize? Buster prob- not probably made a big the rookie contract, which is four years. If they're within those four years, if he hasn't shown you anything at that point, it's you know you kind of know this was a mistake. Real I, I mean, like RG three, you know his rookie contract just ran out. They knew it was just a mistake. You know, anytime the Rams sign a guy to a rookie deal, they. They wish that the rules were in place when they signed Bradford. Yeah, <laughs> sure that guy. Did. That guy has been. He's, he's made been eighty million dollars for being mediocre. He's been stealing money on potential since he got drafted, and it. And the Eagles are just the latest sucker to pay this. This and I bet he does again. Money, he probably will. I mean, he said, "I look." Reports came out after the trade was made that he's quote unquote really mad about this, and he he wants out of Philly. I honestly believe it, like, in my heart of hearts, draft day, maybe not Thursday, but sometimes during the draft, Sam Bradford's getting dealt. You can maybe get back into the second so- round. I, no, I wouldn't say and, that. And I'm a Sam Bradford fan, but I want that to happen if, they go, if, they, if they're getting wins, which they are. Yeah, so, I mean, at that point, you're but paying that, a guy... That's so much dead money you're going to take, which I understand, you know, you're paying that money anyway, so it's not like you're si- going out to sign anyone else at this point. But the problem with it is is that they really think they're going to compete now and later. 
and in the future. They're trying to build a, you know, I always believe you can't have it both ways, but they want to build for the present and the future, which I don't see how that can work. They've said that that's what they want to do. Right, but and that's that brings me to my point where if that's what you're trying to do, why are you trading so many draft picks to get this guy? Yeah. When, I mean, you obviously, obviously had to believe somewhat in Bradford if they paid him all that money. So... You're, you're, you know, well, they have an easy out next year. So, well, they're almost talking out of two sides of the rest. They're saying, oh, on one hand, you know, Sam Bradford's our guy. You know, we we invested money in him. You know, he's our guy. But on the other hand, we're we're in love with Carson Wentz. Well, I mean, it's know, not like they just all of a sudden found out who Carson Wentz was. They knew about him before they signed Bradford. <laughs> you know, everyone everyone knew. You know, they've been talking about quarter. They, you know, they went out. They died. They wine and died. Wentz, they wind and dine Lynch, so obviously they were interested in these guys. This, you know, it's not like Howie Roseman woke up in the middle of the night in a cold no, this sweat been, this was like calculated oh, and was like, "Oh, we need a quarterback." They've known about it. They knew about it from the time the season ended, but they they signed Bradford anyway. Why? Well, I mean, you know, you look at it. Best case scenario here is you end up with the Philip Rivers, Drew Brees situation where you have two really good quarterbacks and you could get a lot of compensation for one. But I, mean, I think Bradford. You know, for me, I don't mind the Bradford signing because it's not long-term. They can get out of it quickly, which it makes a lot more sense why they only signed him to two years now. But, but what no, I do mind do- is doesn't. the Chase Daniels signing then. Yeah, that's what I'm I mean, saying. I don't disagree so much with the Bradford or the Chase Daniels with this coming out, but they I need agree to be with the one both. or the other. Yes. You don't you didn't need to sign two of them. And I think if you have to choose between the two to be a uh, like a stopgap, it should have just been Chase Daniel. If you want a guy to, if you want a guy if you want this this quarterback that you drafted to learn the off, I, I mean, look, if he's coming in, he's going to learn this offense. So you have to, you know, when he comes in, you have to, you, you assume that you're, no one, no front office goes into a season saying, you know, we're going to draft him, he's going to learn this offense, but this head coach isn't going to be the one that we go with no, down the road. Yeah. So you have to assume if you draft him that he has to learn the system because he's going to be running it for the next 15 years. More than likely, that's not going to happen. But if that's the thought, if that's the plan, you got to get the best guy to teach him. Now, either way, Chase Daniel is on the field. I mean, either way, Chase Daniel's on the team. But you didn't need Bradford. I mean, the other thing is, you know, Bradford has been in a different offense his entire career. Yeah. So and Chase Daniel's been in this offense for a while. And so if your starter is learning the offense from the backup, I see a huge problem with that. To me... To me, the starter, you know, he needs to be the guy that is teaching the others, not going to the backup saying, oh, you know, all right, so what do I do here? And this, you know, if the defense looks like this, how do I change this protection based on this offense? So that's why I think, look, they knew from day one, we want one of these quarterbacks, we're going to do everything we can to get them. And Sam Bradford should have never been signed. Chase Daniel should have been signed. He should have been your starter. And but, that should have been it. But they feel that Bradford gives them a better chance to win this year. And you said it yourself. You can't do both. And I no, I'm not agreeing with that. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to explain as to why I believe they made the move. You can do did. you could do both if you have an already proven quarterback that's just getting up there in years. But you can't do that with Sam Bradford or Chase now, Daniel. Yeah, if you were like let's say you had a Phillip Rivers or a Ben Roethlisberger, that's different. Yeah, that's that's You all, could do it with, with the Packers did it with Favre and Rogers. Yeah, it's almost what it worked they, out to Perfection. It's what they tried to do when they had McNabb. He was getting up there. They drafted Cobb. The only problem Boss. was they drafted a bad quarterback. Terrible. It would have worked if they would have, you know, if it, if they would have drafted the, you know, the right guy who had who could play. It would have been a different and you know, story. And we're, we're probably not even talking about Carson Wentz right now. Peterson is being 
You know, he's this quarterback guru. You know, he made Alex Smith play better than he ever did before. But, you know, this whole, these Reed people, these Andy, you know, it's all kind of the same community, I feel like. And, you know, they couldn't do it with Kevin Cobb. So it's not like they can make any quarterback good, especially a young one, because Reed couldn't even make Cobb into a good quarterback. Right. So what makes me think Reed, you know, half of Andy Reed, that is Doug Peterson, is going to make, you know, if Wentz is if because a lot of times well, I think I think the thought I think the thought there is is you have Peterson who's the next quarterback, you know, if you want to call what he did play quarterback, he wasn't and then, good. Yeah, you have Frank Reich is your offensive coordinator, former quarterback, and you have Chase Daniel, your backup who knows, knows the offense happening. that you're playing in. So I think what they think is we have three quarterback minds that could lead this guy in the right direction, and I think the odd man out is your starter, and it's Sam Bradford, yeah, because the way he looks at it is he thought that he was going to be an eagle long-term when he signed that deal. You know, he thought two years, you know, I'll play out the two years, I'll play well, and, you know, they'll lock me up for another four or whatever. And now they, you know, now the writing's on the wall. You know, we're about to draft our future quarterback, and it's, and it's not, not you. you. So, so, and you could, you could already tell, like, Sam Bradford is, you know, he's mad he's about hot. it. It's out, you know, he's hot. It's come out that he's not happy. So, what the, you know, why would he? Why would he try to groom this guy that's just going to take his job? Yeah, more Favre than likely, said he didn't want to groom Yeah, more than, yeah, Favre Rogers. came out right out and said it. They, you know, they had a rocky relationship for a while in Green Bay. So why would Sam Bradford do it? Because Sam Bradford's kind of in the same boat. You know, he's on a team that invested a lot in him last year, for better or worse, by trading for him. Put a lot of faith in him. And they signed him again this year. So he's thinking, you know, this team has a lot of confidence in me. You know, he's going into, you know, he's going into the workouts and training camp and everything thinking, this team's behind me. And then they do this. So he really And is- you would think, you know, if this, because as I believe that this has been calculated, this has been contemplated for quite a while now. And they didn't cue him in on any of this, especially when they signed him. They didn't let him know that this was something that could happen. Some real backhanded stuff there. But at the same point, why would they? Because they don't know for sure that. that, Yeah, they don't know for sure that they're going to be able to pull off one of those moves. So they almost have to assume that you know where we are is where we are in the draft. If If we can move up, we will. I I you you really don't because they had a contingency plan with the they had a trade in place with the Chargers to go to three, and then as soon as. The Rams went to one. They went to two. But I think they knew all along that know. they were going to mortgage their future and they were going to do what it took to get a quarterback. Shit, why did they do it last year? Yeah, why, get, why didn't they do it last Get Mariota. They, look. Chip would have probably still been in town. Look, they said, I know a lot has been talked about that. I heard Peter King during the week say, because I know a lot of, there's a lot of talk that, that says, and I think this is the stupidest argument ever, that the Eagles made this move, Howie made this move because kind of the one-up Chip because Chip couldn't do it last year. But Peter King said that he spoke to Ken Wisenhunt after the draft, and he asked him, he said, were you ever close to trading the pick? And he said, no. We were going yeah. with Marcus the whole time. We were never going to... He said, we listened, but we were never going to trade it. I mean, obviously, they would have traded it if the Eagles came and said, we'll give you 10 years first-round pick. But no one's going to do that, obviously. Yeah. And there's no way that anybody would have let Chip Kelly do that in the Eagles' front office. At that point, he would have been fired on the spot. Yeah, but they let him do a lot of pretty <coughs> stupid stuff. Right, but I think they put a lot of you know blind faith into him. But I think it's unfair to like to go back to last year because the Titans were sitting at number two and they weren't budging unless 
they were really, really, really blown away. And the Eagles... Yeah, you're right. Just, at, I understand. Yeah, at a certain right. point, you just get to the point where you're like, look, th- that pick is not that valuable to us where we're going to give you all of this for it. No, yeah. there's. I mean, it's, it's not... What they would have had to give it up to probably get Mariota would have been unbelievable. It would have screwed us. It would have screwed us to no end, and we'd be dealing with it for a while. A while. <laughs> so, I, mean, I don't know. Like I said, I'm nervous. I'm scared. Who knows what the hell's gonna happen? It sucks, but yeah. Well, I mean, uh, let's hope he's the guy. That's all. I mean, that's all we can hope for at this point. Yeah, I pray that he's the guy because then it's a great trade. Yeah, I mean, because you know, if he's the guy, he wins you a Super Bowl. What's it matter what you gave up to get him? Yeah, you're right. And look, when this is all said and done, if even if we go on the run like a McNabb and Reed type run, Howie Roseman looks like a genius, and he's yeah. along for that entire ride. But if it if it fizzles out. And three years from now, Carson Wentz is looking like uh, Jamarcus Russell. Then, and the Eagles are looking like the Raiders. Those Raiders, not so much these Raiders. Yeah, there's going to be a lot. You know, there's going to be a lot of questions that have to get answered, and there's going to be a lot of heads on the chopping block. All right, man behind the glass, start it up. Hey yo, you know what this is? Unbelievable sports story of the week. Give it a listen, would you? All right, so this is the most. I, I've never even heard of something like this. Uh, South Sudanese native Jonathan Nicola, a star center for Canadian high school basketball team, uh, Central Catholic High School, uh, posed as a 17 year old. He's actually 30. How did no one see that he's just a 30-year-old man and not a 17? You know what, it, know what it brings me back to? That You ever see that movie, Bench Warmers? Maria! Where they have that guy. <laughs> exactly. And he's drinking, he has the tequila on his glove, and they go yeah. up to the ref, and it, you know, it says, I am 12 with a $10 bill in it. It's unbelievable. I mean, all right, so they, I guess he came over. I, I mean, look, I, you're coming from South Sudan. Who knows how many, like... They probably just put him on the boat and say, "How old are you?" He's seventeen, and they let him on the boat, and that was the end of that. So he he got here on a, on a uh, student visa, which is now revoked. You know, he's up on charges of, you know, I guess frauding a minor. I don't even know. And I mean, the guy's six foot nine, two hundred and two pounds. And uh, whoever's like looking at this dude for the team going forward thinks, "Oh yeah, we got a nice seventeen-year-old kid. Really got a thirty-year-old man whose career." Not pro- tell that he's a man though. <laughs> I just don't like get a 30 it. Thirty-year-old man. It's not like he was like twenty-three or twenty-four. He's thirty uh, years I mean, old. I, I mean, cannot see it. I mean, I don't know what the what the the shower situation is in high school sports anymore. Oh, come now, on, now in this man. PC world, but. I mean, this guy—he's six nine. You know, they don't—you don't tell that this guy's walking around with a third leg and all the all, all the all, all the other high school kids are you know, you know, lighter I mean, size. Does he have a full beard? And I, I don't know. It's, it, look, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You know? unbelievable. So today's episode once again brought to you by Gentlemen's Cuts. Uh, Barbershop, five hundred eight Herfield Crosskeys Road, Sewell, New Jersey. Stop in, ask for Chris. He's going to hook you up real well, tell him that you uh, heard it on the show. So next week, you know, uh, it's going to be a down week somewhat in sports. No Flyers, they're done. Philly's still playing. So next week, 
we're going to be breaking down the draft. You know, whatever they do, whatever the Eagles do, whether it's Goff, whether it's Wentz, whether they shake up the world and take Ezekiel Elliott just to make sure that they got him before the Cowboys. We'll find out one thing that we'll tell you and one thing that the Flyers will definitely tell you. There's always next year.